1: Officials say California will not accept new unemployment claims for the next two weeks. The state announced the two-week pause on Saturday. Nearly 600,000 Californians are stuck in a backlog of unprocessed unemployment claims. The state's Unemployment Development Department has been hampered throughout the pandemic by outdated technology that's now been overwhelmed by an unprecedented wave of unemployment claims. Thank you. It's likely that San Diego County will slip into the state's purple tier for COVID-19 cases. On top of that, many school reopening plans would have to be put on hold. But even if we're facing more COVID-19 restrictions, the state would still let San Diego Unified School District bring high-need students back to school for appointment-based in-person learning. Richard Barrera is a school board member for San Diego Unified School District.
2: Our ability to move forward with subsequent phases um, is dependent on, you know, the conditions in the community with the spread of the virus.
1: Some school districts are in zip codes with high case numbers like Sweetwater Union High in the South Bay. They don't expect to reopen anytime soon. Home prices in California continue to go up even as the economy is battered by the pandemic. CapRadio's Scott Rod explains why.
2: The median price for a home in California reached a record high last month, topping $700,000. There are a few reasons prices keep going up. Mortgage rates have dipped below 3%, driving more buyers into the market. But inventory remains limited. Ryan Lundquist is a real estate appraiser and market analyst in Sacramento. He says sellers are at an advantage. The winners are people who are downsizing, buying something smaller and pocketing the equity or moving out of state into a lower priced market. But it puts some buyers at a disadvantage. People who have lower paying jobs and who really, you know, can't get into the neighborhood that they want. Only two counties in California, Mono and Glenn, saw median prices drop in August.
1: That was Cap Radio Scott Rod. On a Monday, September 21st, it's San Diego News Matters from KPBS News, a daily morning news podcast powered by everyone in the KPBS Newsroom. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. Elected officials reviewed the audit findings of San Diego County's Regional Transportation Planning Agency last week. The audit was done by an independent performance auditor. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says allegations of improper bonuses and severance payments got mixed reviews. The audit
2: found fault with how SANDAG hires and promotes staff and how in the past SANDAG made large severance payments to top-level executives without proper oversight from the board of directors. The board is made up of elected officials from throughout the county. The agency's management agreed with some of the findings, but it fiercely disputed allegations that the payments or promotions were outside the authority of the executive director. Chula Vista Mayor Mary Salas said she thinks management followed the existing policies set by previous boards, but... If we're not happy with those policies and procedures that allowed for this, then this is an excellent time for the board to regain control and um, examine those policies, and then put forward the recommendations that we want. Other board members voiced harsher criticism of SANDAG management. The board ultimately voted to direct SANDAG staff to come up with an action plan that implements the recommendations board members agreed with. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News.
1: A new court filing alleges Customs and Border Protection knew it was breaking the law when it began turning away asylum seekers at the southern border. KPBS's Max Revlin Nadler reports.
2: The class action lawsuit centers on the thousands of asylum seekers who have been turned away at ports of entry across the southern border since late 2016. CBP has said they simply didn't have the capacity to process more than just a few asylum seekers each day. But a series of whistleblowers now say that CBP not only had the capacity to process asylum seekers, but that by choosing not to, leadership knew it was breaking the law. Erica Pinero is a staff attorney with El Otro Lado, one of the
3: plaintiffs in the lawsuit. Unlike their characterization of events, it wasn't just a few bad apples. It wasn't just a few officers who were turning away asylum seekers. It actually was a policy and practice that was directed from the highest levels.
2: A hearing is scheduled for federal court in San Diego in December. Max Adler, KPBS News.
1: Well, it's official now. COVID-19 has taken a significant cut from San Diego City's pocketbook. Last week, city officials released projections of a $300 million loss in tax revenue by next summer because of the pandemic. The bulk of that comes from losses in sales taxes and hotel taxes. Miro Kopic is the founder of Bottom Line Marketing and a business commentator for KPBS. He said the city could take money from their reserves.
0: The
2: city has over $200 million in reserves. They use it for potential lawsuits or workmen's comp. And, and so th- the city can use some of that. But what, it, what the implication is, is that if they use it now, they're not going to be able to use it at a later date.
1: Along with the use of reserve money, Copic says the city might face budget cuts or would be forced to raise taxes to make up for the revenue loss. Voting season is now officially underway. Overseas ballots for the military went out this weekend. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says new rules are designed to boost turnout.
2: San Diego is one of only 11 counties with more than 10,000 overseas ballots. More than 13,000 overseas and deployed military voters were sent ballots by the deadline Saturday, says Registrar of Voters Michael Vu, the earliest ballots to go out.
0: And the reason why is because of the transit time of getting them their ballot. And, of course, the other concern is giving them sufficient time to vote it and get it back.
2: The 45-day window is a federal deadline. Overseas ballots have a lower rate of return than other mail-in ballots in San Diego County. Nationally, the law changed in time for this election to allow overseas ballots to arrive up to 17 days before the election, as long as they are postmarked by Election Day. Steve Walsh, KPBS News.
1: Now, I know we've been saying it for weeks now, but California's wildfire season is going to be a bit longer this year. Scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration say it's going to be a hot and dry fall. KQED's Kevin Stark has this story filed for the California Report.
2: Fires have already burned more than 3 million acres across the state this year, but the season for Diablo and Santa Ana winds, which can drive big fall fires, is just beginning. During a NOAA climate assessment call with reporters, Brad Pugh, a federal meteorologist, said Northern California faces a worse-than-average fall wildfire outlook for two reasons, expanding dry conditions and above normal temperatures into December.
0: With those two factors in mind, I would certainly uh, elevate the uh, chances
2: for continued uh, elevated wildfire risk. NOAA estimates the total cost of California's August wildfires to be at least a billion dollars. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark.
1: UC Berkeley is opening a new place for scientific study of psychedelics. KQED's Laura Clivens talked to one of the center's co founders, journalist Michael Pollan.
3: When Pollan told friends he was co founding a center to study psychedelics at UC Berkeley, he heard the same response a lot.
0: They always thought Berkeley would be the first place to have a psychedelic study center.
3: (laughs) But Berkeley isn't the first. Although psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin have been outlawed nationwide for roughly 50 years, recent studies have shown the drugs, coupled with therapy, are particularly effective in treating some mental health problems. For example, the nonprofit MAPS, based in Santa Cruz, is currently in late stage human trials on the use of MDMA or ecstasy to treat PTSD. Johns Hopkins is studying psilocybin to treat addiction and severe depression. Berkeley Center will instead focus on how psychedelics affect the brain. The work that
0: isn't getting done in this country to that extent is looking at what psychedelics such as psilocybin have to teach us about the mind about things like creativity, consciousness, cognition, emotion.
3: The center will also train people to be guides or facilitators for psychedelic research and therapies. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens.
1: A farm in the South Bay wants to help more people in their community get access to affordable produce and flowers. KPBS's Max Revlin-Nadler reports about the farm's unique business structure and how it could help promote more urban agriculture.
2: On a Tuesday afternoon, the Pishka farm stand is open for business. It's one of the few places where people can buy fresh fruit and veggies directly from a farmer in the South Bay. Perfect. Thank you. While smaller farms are typically owned by families who often manage their workers, Pishka Farms is different. The workers are the ones who own it. Everyone's a leader here, or that's how worker co ops typically are. We all have a decision on our production. We, we have that control, that immediate control. We decide what to do as a collective and how to proceed as a business. Jose Alcaraz grew up in San Isidro. He has a degree in environmental engineering, but decided to become a farmer and part owner of a farm after he found out about Pishka two years ago. I found this place and I just never left. Around a mile from the border, the ocean, and the desert, Pishka sits in the Tijuana River Valley. The year-round growing season means farmers can pack in a lot of produce inside its small footprint and experiment with what will flourish
0: and what won't. This is where we do all our seedlings, got some beets, some fennel.
2: Leonard Vargas is a third generation farmer in Southern California. Vargas started the farm in 2017 with the idea of making fresher food available to communities that lack access to
0: it. Really one of the things that we wanted to do was start to provide vegetables to some of those communities that are in food deserts. This gives us kind of a a real close proximity to that, so we can start to move that into those communities. Particularly in the South Bay seems to be struggling with that.
2: Shortly after Vargas began leasing the land from the county, he was joined by Cristina Juarez, who's from Tijuana. The farm, like the surrounding area, is bilingual. Together they realized that a workers' cooperative was the best way forward for the farm. She said, I believe you could do work with more heart. When you feel equal to the other person. When you don't expect orders from them. When you feel like they won't scold you because something is different. And so you're putting your heart and your soul and your knowledge into something. But it hasn't been easy. With four worker owners, they're just beginning to pay themselves minimum wage. And nature hasn't exactly been cooperating. When the Tijuana River Valley floods, all the produce it touches has to be thrown out.
0: We had a a little flood that came through here uh, early December of last year and took out all our vegetable crops.
2: So Pishka had to get creative.
0: So at that point we decided to go ahead and add cut flowers to our mix so that we could be more sustainable in case of anything else that came along like that because we are in a floodplain. And then we found that uh, people really liked them and so we continued to grow them and keep them in our mix.
2: They now sell their flowers at the farm stand and at shops like Gem Coffee in City Heights. Do you have a bag? Yeah, no? right here. The newest worker owner, Eric Rodriguez, also grew up in South San Diego. He was furloughed from his longtime job at the beginning of the pandemic. He started helping with Pishka and like Jose, soon couldn't bring himself to leave. For him, connecting the community to agriculture is a huge part of what Pishka does. They sell and give away saplings for people to plant in their home gardens.
3: A child came and bought a pepper plant, and then he came back like every week showing me the progress of his pepper plant. And then finally, when he harvested the pepper plant, he ate it, and I was just, you know, like, I was just like so into it and that he was so into it. Pishka,
2: whose farm stand is open Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday afternoons in the South Bay, is hoping to kick off a local, urban farming movement following the worker cooperative model, especially among people of color. We're an example to other POC that we, they can be part of a business and part of an industry because we, whether we want to or not, we're still part of the system, but in our own way, with our ownership, and it feels really good, and I feel a lot more people, more more farmers should definitely feel that. Max Irwin-Adler, KPBS News.
1: Coming up on the podcast, our partners at Cap Radio talk to California Attorney General Javier Becerra specifically about his more than 100 lawsuits filed against the Trump administration. That's up next after this break.
0: org.
1: Since 2017, California Attorney General Javier Becerra has sued the Trump administration more than 100 times. Becerra has also been floated as a pick to fill Kamala Harris's Senate seat should she and Democratic nominee Joe Biden win the presidential election in November. The attorney general joined Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon, along with other journalists from the Sacramento Press Club, for an interview last week. They first asked Becerra to to weigh in on the president's refusal to acknowledge climate change as a contributor to wildfires.
0: That's the attitude we've had to deal with for the last three and a half years. Uh, The president has ignored the science, uh, including the facts, and he has gone cavalierly towards a policy that takes us backward. And that's why we've had to file some 54 of our, I think we're up to 102 lawsuits now, uh, that 54 of those 102 deal specifically with environment. In fact, on Monday... We filed another lawsuit, the 54th lawsuit against the Trump administration, because now they're trying to relax the rules that control how much methane can be released in the air by some of these industries. And you've still got a lot of work to do with all these lawsuits against the Trump administration. Is the workload
2: a challenge for an office of your size? And, and is there um, any
0: criticism or, or is it warranted to say, hey, you're not focusing on other things as well? How do you juggle it all? It's a load. Uh, But we juggle it because we've got tremendously uh, committed people who are very, very talented. Most of those cases, we've been winning. And that's the good part. Not only are they not frivolous, a lot of people accuse us of just trying to poke uh, Donald Trump's eye. No, if that were the case, we'd have a whole bunch of our cases dismissed out of court. We're winning our cases. Uh, it, It is a load, but here's how we are able to handle. We're not doing it alone. That lawsuit that we filed on methane gas, we were joined by some 24 other government jurisdictions, uh, about 20 state AGs joined in that lawsuit. So we're doing these things together. Not in every case does California have to take up the entire load. And that's how we've been able to manage this barrage of cases, showing how unlawful President Trump has been during his three and a half years.
1: I'm just going to ask the question, uh, do you want to be a senator? And <laughs> do you want to take uh, Senator Harris's seat? Should she win the White House ticket?
0: Uh Back in 2016, I considered jumping into that Senate race. I didn't. Um, I'm thrilled that I'm now the Attorney General. I'd be honored to be the U.S. Senator. I'm honored to be the Attorney General. Uh, That's totally up to Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, I hope on November 3rd, we give Governor Newsom a reason to have to appoint a new uh, U.S. Senator to the Senate but that's gonna be totally up to Gavin Newsom.
1: I wanna ask about um, police reform. You said you supported the legislation, the decertification bill, um, SB 731, um, but you didn't sort of make a push or or endorse the most recent um, version of that bill. And the sponsor of that bill told me that he had also wished that Governor Newsom had sort of been more vocal in pushing these police reform bills and helping them cross the finish line. What happened there and why didn't you fight for these bills?
0: I think part of the problem was it was all done towards the end, right? When time was crunched. We are for a process to provide the certification and decertification of our peace officers, hundreds of thousands of them, them, by the way, in the state of California. But we want to make sure it's done right. And so we, we didn't agree with everything that was being proposed. And we put out there what we thought could work. We've also made it, by the way, very clear what we think will not work and will be more costly and burdensome than productive. And so we're prepared to engage today, tomorrow, as we were yesterday, in coming up with a solution that works.
1: That was California Attorney General Javier Becerra speaking with Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon and other journalists with the Sacramento Press Club. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening.